Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. It's great to be back behind the microphone again after a, another long layoff, this time for Independence Day, which is the day that we all celebrate our nation's birthday. It's our 241st birthday, if I recall that correctly. I had a great time celebrating America's birthday with plenty of hamburgers and hot dogs and beer and family and friends. It was just a a really great time. But of course, for me, I take Independence Day very seriously. I'm a proud American. I love this country. And I do also take time in my own way to remember all the people back in the Revolutionary War, both on the British side and the American side. Uh, those people who lost their lives fighting for something that they truly believed in. That is never lost on me. And I am very, very grateful for those men and very grateful for those women who lived their life for an ideal that was bigger than themselves. And they paid the ultimate sacrifice so that people like me can have the kind of freedoms that I enjoy on an everyday basis. And it's never lost on me that there are plenty of of countries around this world that simply just do not have the kind of freedoms that I have in the United States of America. So I am very proud to be an American. I'm very glad to be in this country. And while there are issues in this country that are very serious, that need to be resolved and tackled and and problems to be dealt with, there's still no other place in the world that I would rather be than in the United States of America. So happy birthday, America. Anyway, on this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to be talking, initiating a conversation on kata, believe it or not. It's a, it's a topic that I've been wanting to touch for a very long time, and I think it's long overdue. Some of you guys out there on email, uh, some of the emails I've not read online uh, or on the podcast, have asked me to talk about kata, and... I, it's not that I've been avoiding the subject. I, there's just been other topics that I've I've wanted to get to ahead of time, but it doesn't mean that I was ignoring kata. Not that at all. So I'm going to dedicate this episode to talking. Well, not not a dedication, but I'm going to talk about kata and try and approach this in a serious manner. Give you guys what I think of kata and some of the perceptions that are out there and and what some of the the, the greats in judo history have talked about kata and its importance. I'm also going to break down a little bit of the Ho-Hot Grand Prix, which is a tournament that took place last week. Now, admittedly, I did not watch this tournament. I, I just was busy with 4th of July related stuff and having a day off and yard work and getting new tenants into my home and yada, yada, yada. There just was not a lot of time for me to watch this tournament. So I'm still going to break down who won, who won gold, who, who showed up, who didn't show up. Uh, but this was the last event heading into the World Championship. So I want to talk a little bit about this event, even though I, I didn't watch the entire thing. Um, there are some key matches that I want to get into and such. But I want to talk a little bit about that. And, and going into the World Championships, who I think some of the favorites are. And it's no secret who I think one definite favorite is. But before I get into any of that, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. First, the housekeeping type stuff. Guys, I watched Spider-Man Homecoming yesterday. That movie's awesome. And 
It is by far the best Spider-Man movie to date. And I, of all the comic book movies, of all the comic book characters, Spider-Man has always been my favorite. It's been my favorite ever since I saw Spider-Man on the Electric Company kids show back in like 1979, 1980. I mean, I was a little kid, but I actually remember that. And I, I used to love Spider-Man and the Electric Company. I used to watch the Spider-Man cartoons. I used to watch the reruns of the old Spider-Man cartoons. Uh, and by, by Spider-Man cartoons, they had the ones that came out in the late 80s, early 90s. And there was Spider-Man and there's Amazing Friends. And then there was a one from like the 1960s where the artwork was terrible. So I've been, of all the comic book characters, I've been a huge Spider-Man nut. And anytime a Spider-Man movie comes out, I look at it with a very, very critical eye. Because... I thought Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man was, was really good, but I had problems with the way that Sam Raimi was directed those movies. And they were thinking, Spider-Man 3, I, I did not like at all. Up to this point, the Andrew Garfield ones, there were things I liked about it, but as a whole, I, I, I didn't think they were all that good. I thought up to this point, up, up to Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man 2 was the best out of all the Spider-Man movies that I've watched, but... Spider-Man Homecoming almost it it blows it away. I, I I know those are strong words, and maybe this is a little bit of recency bias, but Spider-Man Homecoming was everything that I hoped that this movie would be. I had concerns going into it because of the trailer, because the trailer really gave away a lot of what the story was going to be about, who the villain was. But they were a, a nice surprises and. I'm not going to give you details because I don't want to spoil the movie for you guys, but there were lots of cameos. There were, well, okay, maybe not lots of cameos, but there was a villain in the movie that I did not expect. And the way that they intertwined this movie was, uh, intertwined this villain in the story was was really good. I, I thought they did a great job. Michael Keaton as the Vulture, I thought was fantastic. And I, I got a little chuckle that they picked Keaton to play this character because he was in this movie a couple of years ago called Birdman, which Birdman is definitely in my top 10 of movies of all time. If you've not watched Birdman, you got to watch Birdman. It's, it's, it's really, really phenomenal. And for those of you who have watched Birdman, I'm curious if how, what you guys think of the ending because somebody told me that they think that he, that the character actually died at the end. I don't think so. I, I, I want to say that he really in the movie he really was Birdman and and he that wasn't just some kind of like pre death uh, vision or something like that. But anyway, I probably just spoiled the movie for some of you guys. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. But Keaton as the Vulture in this movie was great. The action was fantastic. The way they intertwined the Avengers in this movie, making it an official part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was was great i i just i this was just so much better than i would have ever ever hoped for and i highly suggest you watch it there are two bonus scenes at the end of this movie one is right toward the end of the credits or uh, uh, right in the beginning of the credits and then at, toward the very end there's a, a another one but it's not the one at the very end is more of a gag it's not really important in the grander scheme of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, storyline as such. So 
I'm really looking forward to seeing Tom Holland uh, continue in this role. I thought he did a better job than Tobey Maguire. I thought he did a be- better job than Andrew Garfield. He he was the best Peter Parker. He was the best Spider-Man. I, I just thought having him as a kid in high school and, co- and making that story a part of the movie instead of showing him after high school, I think that was really important. And it was just this movie was just so much fun. It, it was great. And of course, me being from from New York City originally, there's a lot of sites there, especially Queens. There's a lot of sites there that I recognize. I was like, oh, look at that. It's it's my old home. But anyway, highly recommend you watch Spider-Man Homecoming. If you haven't seen it yet, take time to watch it. You will not be disappointed. Now, speaking about things that you should take time to watch... I highly recommend that you check out my friends Nick and Cy Collier on the Nick and Cy Show on YouTube. Nick and Cy Collier have come up with a instructional video called Everything About Arm Spins. And this is a video that goes into great detail about the arm spin. For those who may not be aware, the arm spin is Yoko Wakari. And I've taken a look at this video and... As I said it before, I'm going to say it again. I am very, very impressed with Nick and Sai's explanation of the arm spin because they show the technique in a variety of situations from certain grips and they explain what makes this throw succeed versus what makes this throw fail. And I got to tell you, the level of detail and explanation in these videos are fantastic. But, you know, don't take my word for it. Go listen to what Dan Camarillo said about everything about arm spins. The instruction was very technical, precise, and they shared a lot of knowledge. I like how they taught numerous ways to execute the same throw. But not only that, they showed counters from standing and on the ground. They also showed some amazing transitions into submissions. I highly recommend this instructional. These are very talented kids. Now, Dan Camarillo is recommending this video. Dr. Roddy Ferguson recommended this video. And I am recommending this video. If you want to improve your Yoko Wakari, if you want to improve your arm spin for gi and no gi situations, I highly suggest you take a look at Nick and Sai's Everything About Arm Spins video. It's well worth the price, which is $2.99 for a three-day rental or $4.99 if you want to purchase the video or the part of the video outright. The audio and video quality is excellent, and as I've already stated, the details are fantastic. You can check out this video and other videos by Nick and Cy at www.youtube.com forward slash Nick and Cy. That's N-I-K-A-N-D-S-I. Go check them out and let them know that you heard this advertisement from me. All right, on to some judo-related stuff, Uh, but I'm not going to get to the kata stuff right now. There's something that I need to get off my chest that is judo related. And I, I want to preface this by saying that, look, I understand that there are many people who are doing their best in all three judo organizations in the United States. But I see a lot of the same old, same old in the time that I've been involved in judo over the past 11 plus years. I see a lot of the same old, same old. And Somebody's got to say something and hell, it may as well be me. So this is what I need to get off my chest about. It's very frustrating to hear. I have a student that went to compete 
at the USJA Summer Nationals held in Boynton Beach, Florida. And again, the person who actually ran the event, I know, I believe his name is Mike Scherzer. I believe if I got that, hopefully I got that last name right. That guy is fantastic at running tournaments. He is so good at it. He, he's got it down to a science. If there's anybody out there that is interested in, in running some kind of local tournament but don't know how to do it, you got to reach out to this guy because this guy is fantastic in running tournaments. That being said, there is a problem that my student encountered at the USJA Summer Nationals. And this is a problem that I hear from parents all the time. And it's a familiar story. It's like one of those same old song stories. So my student goes down there. She has paid the entry fees. Her parents have paid for the gas to drive over 200 miles the hotels to stay there several nights because you've got to be there uh, the night before and sometimes divisions run on, on the next day. So you got to be there for the, in time for weigh-ins, which sometimes happens a day or two in advance. So between the gas, the entry fees that are $125, uh, the lodging, and, and the meals, they end up spending about $500 to go to this tournament. So guess what happens? Absolutely nothing. She had nobody to fight in her division. This is the USJA Summer Nationals. This isn't some some local uh, tournament, which is nothing wrong with local tournaments. This is supposed to be the USJA Nationals. And this is a familiar story that I've heard over and over again, year after year after year. Parents and their kids and coaches and their students drive and fly to so many different tournaments only to find out that they have either no competition or maybe one other person shows up. I mean, it really is unfair to parents and the this the the athletes to make this kind of sacrifice to train up for an event that nobody shows in. And when I went to the USJA website to take a look at the event information, when I go to the site, I don't know how many people are, are going into the event. As a matter of fact, in the event site, under the tournament details, when I took a look at expected count, it shows zero. I, I, what's the point of having a page that has a feature that shows expected count and then it just shows there's no information there at all? What What is the, what is the incentive for parents to spend all this kind of money to make a trip to the Nationals and and nobody's there. W- would it be so hard to at least have a refund policy? Because the application for the registration says absolutely no refunds. So you're, you're really gambling on that other kids will show up. And nobody did. Sure, she gets the gold medal and she gets the National points. But, and she also went up to... Uh, she ended up having some kind of an exi- exhibition match that didn't count for anything. She lost in golden score. I, I, I didn't see the match, but I'm sure she had a tremendous effort. But I spent hours upon hours and upon hours preparing her. I was solely doing Ron Dory. She's like she's like 12 years old, um, but but she's big for a 12 year old. So 
Yeah, she does randori with me because I'm only like one, you know, about 155 pounds or so. So she does randori with me. Basically, I'm her throwing dummy. I don't care. It doesn't bother me at all. But there's a lot of preparation that went in that was involved in this tournament. Would it would it be so bad to to show a sign of good faith and offer a refund, or would it be so bad to find out how many? participants in that particular division uh, there are signed up now granted you can't account for the walk-ups but you have pre-registration and that registration you you had well over a month to register so you could get a general idea of what the participation rate is going to be i just think there really needs to be an effort by all the judo organizations out there to communicate how many participants there are going to be in each division and then allow parents and students to decide how they want to spend their money, whether they want to make the trip all the way down there or whether they're just going to not go to the tournament. It's, I, I don't know. It's it's like, it's almost deceptive in, in a way. Why not post, you don't have to say who's showing up, but at least say, look, we've got, you know, X amount of competitors in this particular division. Put that information up in real time. Now, it's my understanding that the USJA Summer Nationals are going to be in, held in New York next year. I, You can be sure that my student's not going. And I'm sure there are people, whether it happened at this, this particular event or whether it's happened at events in the past, I'm sure there are people out there that have flown to these events from other states only to find out that there was there was nobody in their division to fight. And I'm not really blaming one person here, but there's there is a system in place that has been in place for a long time and it seems like it's one of those well, sorry, but that's how it's always been. You, you know, nobody nobody's willing to change that. It, it, at least that's how it seems because it's been the same old story. I don't know why it's this way I but this is going to continue to kill interest in judo from parents and kids why $500 wasted on a weekend to have nobody to fight when kids can sign up for like baseball or softball at their local little league for like $150 and they get the uniform they get plenty of competition at the end of it all they've got they get this big party and, and whatnot. I just, when this kind of stuff happens, parents start to wonder, why bother? Why should I make that trip down there? What? It, it, I don't want to be surprised. It, it's a lot of money. You are asking a lot of people to spend a lot of money to go to a tournament to find out that there's only, that there's nobody there, maybe one or two people there tops. It's really unfair, and it's ridiculous when it happens on the smaller level tournaments where they make parents, you know, non-points tournaments where they make parents and the kids go out there the night before for weigh-ins. I I think that's just silly. Weigh-ins for smaller tournaments need to happen the day of. They don't have to happen the day before and force parents to drive, you know, hundreds of miles to get their kid to a tournament just to get some tournament experience. One of the other students in my club, who's a who's a blue belt, uh, a junior blue belt, is going to be going to a, I believe it's a Naga competition locally, and it's not going to be her first competition. And her father was telling me that there's tons of kids at these competitions, and so 
he feels confident knowing that he can take his daughter to this kind of a competition and know that there's going to be uh, plenty of kids for her to for the for her to fight with. And not only that, the entry is cheaper. I, I don't understand why an entry fee needs to be $150 for a judo tournament if you walk up the door. Naga is like half the price. It, it doesn't make sense. Somebody, hey, look, anybody out there listening, can you justify for me why judo tournaments are $125 and up, like, like the bigger ones? What, why is that? And, and, and maybe while you're at it, if you can justify to me why you have a no refund policy or why you can't let parents know whether or not they're going to have people to fight with. Maybe I've got it wrong, but it seems like the parents, if there is an opportunity for those parents to learn that they have competition for their child, it's that's not being communicated. And again, not blaming any one person. It's just, just a system in place. And I, I just don't understand it. It's the same problems happen year after year after year. Nobody's, Willing to be like, great, maybe we should do something different. Seems like nobody wants to do that. Hey, look, again, I could be way wrong on that. So I'm not calling out anybody in particular. I, it's just, if it, it's happened, it. I just know it happens every year. And, and I don't know why you can't just put up, hey, there's five kids in this division. And, you know, for you folks across the pond, just to, just to keep things in perspective, um, in case you've forgotten... The United States is a pretty big place, and Florida is a pretty big state. Now, for you folks in the UK, imagine driving from Glasgow in Scotland all the way to Liverpool in England. That's about the distance that most of us in the Tampa Bay area and other places have to drive to most of these tournaments, which for whatever reason seem to be only in South Florida. By by the you know uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. That's most of us have to drive the equivalent distance to go to these tournaments. So just keep that in perspective. Driving from Glasgow to Liverpool only to find out there's nobody there to compete with. That's that's a long drive. And you know, look, I've beaten this topic to death already. I don't want to keep uh, you know rambling about this, but. It's something that I would like to see addressed at some point. I just talked about Miami and and Fort Lauderdale and such. I will be at the U.S. Open on the first day, which is Thursday, to take the coaching seminar. Now, for any of you out there who want to introduce themselves or give me a piece of your mind or anything like that, Feel free to find me and come up to me and say hello if you can recognize me. And if you recognize me, you know what? The first person who comes up to me and say, hey, you're Judo Dave from the Judo Dave uh, Judo Chop Suey podcast. I will give you an official JudoInside.com water bottle. I've got two left to give away. If you recognize me, I will give you one. And not only that, um, I plan on bringing, keeping it in my car, but I plan on bringing my microphones and headset and my laptop so in the event any of you any of you want to do or are willing to do an impromptu interview with me i am willing to record that interview and put you on the podcast as well moving along i'd like to start a conversation about kata and by kata i'm specifically talking about judo kata i know martial arts 
Uh, a lot of Japanese martial arts have kata in them. But I want to talk specifically about judo kata because, well, this is the Judo Chop Suey podcast and not uh, Karate Chop or some other type of podcast out there. There probably is a podcast out there called Karate Chop. Anyway, I'd like to talk about kata, what it is, what it isn't, in my opinion, and whether or not it's beneficial. And I want to say I'm starting the conversation on kata because this will not be the only time I talk about kata on the podcast. It's been long overdue for me and I almost feel like I need the need to apologize to all of the listeners out there, all of you who have waiting been waiting to talk for me to talk about this kind of subject because it's look the formal practice of kata I admit is not something that I have done a lot of. And because of that Personally, personally speaking, I feel like I've missed out on a lot. Kata is supposed to be a way, is supposed to be a teaching tool. It's supposed to be a training tool. And it's supposed to be a training tool for beginners. Jigoro Kano once wrote that learning kata is similar to learning the grammar for the study of writing and Rondori practice is similar to the practice of the writing itself. In other words, in order to write a composition, a grasp of grammar is needed. Thus, in order to perform Rondori well, knowledge of kata is necessary. And yet, no matter how well one has mastered grammar, it does not presuppose that one can write fine literature. On the other hand, if one knows only a smattering of grammar, one cannot write well at all. Kano goes on to state that the drawback, however, is that by constantly practicing kata only, one would be dumbfounded if one's adver- adversary unexpectedly attacked one with an unfamiliar technique. Therefore, no matter how one was attacked for both attacker and defender, the outcome would be a fight. I therefore decided to carry out studies on both kata and randori. So when we talk about kata, what do we think about? Do we think about the ceremony of it? Do we think that it's out of date or out of touch with modern training techniques? Or is it still a vital tool for learning judo today? I'm of the opinion it's a vital tool. Now granted, I just said that I have not had formal kata, much formal kata practice in the way of Nage no kata or uh, katame no kata, for example. For And what I mean by formal practice, throughout my time in judo, uh, the clubs that I've been at, we've never set aside a day of the week or, or a session uh, specifically for kata training. Uh, and I mean, I, I've done nage no kata. I don't think I could do nage no kata flawlessly today. I would probably make a ton of mistakes, but because I don't, just because I don't regularly practice nage no kata, for example, it doesn't mean that I don't use the kata as part of my training. And, and I'll give an example of this. Sasai Sakuri Komiyashi is a throw that I have a lot of difficulty with, or I've had a lot of difficulty with. And from a standard sleeve lapel grip, I have trouble 
doing that throw from a static position. I, I for whatever reason I can I can do it if I take more competition style grips like say say around the shoulder grabbing the back uh, back shoulder and then you, you you know taking the sleeve lapel and driving that upward. I I can do that statically, but when it comes to the standard sleeve lapel grip, I cannot do it statically. So when I want to practice the standard sleeve lapel grip in doing Sasai Surikomiyashi, I always go to the kata. When I taught the class uh, about maybe two months ago, I taught the kids uh, Sasai Surikomiyashi. I went to the kata. And I think when it comes to training judo, for all the people out there, and I've look, I've not met them personally, but I see them online that people say kata is a waste of time and things like that. Everybody does kata in judo. And they might not even know it, but everybody does kata. What is kata again? Well, to some, it's it's some kind of ceremonious thing. But ultimately, it's it's a choreographed way of moving to learn how a judo throw works or a technique works. Because katami no kata is, is groundwork. And I know we have all done kata. For anybody that's been in judo for a while, when was the last time you practiced okuriyashi barai statically? You never do. You you know, you don't just the, the guy doesn't just sit there and then you you move and, and whack him on by the foot. You you always are taught the three step motion. Well, gosh, where is that from? Nage no kata, right? I think everybody practices kata in their own way and I think for beginners and I I'm just speaking for myself here I went a lot of time with the exception of my first club where we did practice nagi no kata with some with some regularity not not maybe like once a month we did it and of course every time I practiced nagi no kata I was paired with a guy that was like 230 pounds. And here I am. At the time, I was like 145. I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I've got to do, do Kataguruma with this guy. And so that was, that was a, a, an adventure as a white belt. But regardless, for me, the jump was learning throws statically and then doing Rondori. There was no in-between. Where, like Kano said, the individual techniques are almost like the words. And kata is like the grammar. And then randori is more like the conversation. But you've got to learn the, you've got to learn the grammar. You've got to learn going from, from A to B to C instead of going from right from A to C. And this is something that was missing in my training for a while. Now, my coach would probably probably argue that kata is not really necessary because he taught in a way where I was able to grasp a lot of those concepts uh, without the regular practice of nage no kata. That being said, I do think I missed a lot without that kind of regular practice, starting with regularly practicing throws both left and right sided. I came up through competition schools so I was always more worried about my dominant side. Now, I can do most of the throws that I can do, I can demonstrate them both left and right. 
in or well in order for me to do uchimata left-sided i gotta go back to the kata i can't do uchimata very well on my left side and speaking of uchimata it took me years probably about four or five years to develop an uchimata that i felt comfortable with but i wonder if if i spent the time really practicing the nage no kata version of uchimata I think that throw would have come along a lot faster for me. So, and when it comes to me practicing throws, I never, I very rarely do throws statically, whether even on a crash pad or something like that. I don't, I don't do throws statically. That's just not how judo works for me. I always go toward a choreographed movement. And I'm sure many people out there who may not practice kata regularly do choreograph movements so in essence you are doing kata we just a lot of clubs just call it drills and i think beginners could really really benefit from before doing rondori they start doing kata they don't have to learn the entire nage no kata but perhaps when it comes to ipon seinagi okay maybe not practice the the, the attack and then capture the arm and throw the person. But when it comes to Ippon Seinagi, have them do it from a choreographed movement. It, it's how I have the kids do really a lot of throws. I, because I think, I think throws become easier once you're actually moving in a choreographed way. And that's where, that's where kata comes in for me. For any of you unfamiliar with Katami no Kata, go on YouTube and check it out. Take away the sliding on the knees and the whole pomp. I don't mean pomp in a negative connotation, but take away the demonstration and the sliding across the knees going up to Uke. Everybody has done nage, has done Katami no Kata in, in, in one way, shape, or form if you've been around Judah long enough. Look at the Osaikomi Waza sect parts. Look at the Shime Waza parts and the Kensetsu Waza parts. We've all practiced in that way that Katami no Kata is demonstrated. We've all done it. Who here hasn't, except for maybe the white belts out there, who here hasn't put somebody in in case of Katami and then they try and escape and you try and hold them down? That's, that's, that's Katami no Kata right there. I know in some clubs there are there is an anti- kata uh, bias and they don't do it deliberately but but they're just so focused on competitions that when it comes to the be when it comes to the beginners they're just doing what the advanced students are doing at least in a lot of the competition clubs that I've been a part of where it might be beneficial if you had an instructor set those beginners aside and had them doing kata before getting thrown into rondori and i wonder a lot of people think, look, there's been people that I've had discussions with on online forums in the past that think that having beginners do kata would drive them away. And I really don't believe that is the case. Not unless you, you know, make them do all the bowing ceremonies and things like that and make that the focus of the kata. I Maybe that might turn off a lot of people initially, but... In terms of the choreograph movements that ends in a technique, I think 
in terms of kata in that way, where you pair that uh, that beginner with an uke who knows what they're doing and knows how to take a fall, I think that would be a valuable learning tool for beginners. To even put it in another way, um, some of you are familiar with a fellow by the name of Don Drager. He, he passed away over 30 years ago, but he's one of the uh, really almost like one of the founding fathers of Japanese martial arts in the United States, in, in a way. If you're not familiar with him, you can go look him up. I'm sure most of you who's been around a while have heard of Don Drager. Anyway, he, he once wrote the following. He said, when speaking of the prearranged nature of kata, I found something in Jogoro Kano's technical notes, which was a bombshell to me. At least I thought it uh, until I thought it out. I pass it on to you. How many times have you heard a Judoist say, Kata, nah, never use it for training. I'm a believer in Uchikomi as the best way to learn a technique. Here's the quote-unquote bombshell. In the founder's mind, Uchikomi is Kata. Think about it. In Uchikomi, we have nothing more than a prearranged method of working with our Uke. We repeat certain actions against his more or less cooperative self. We both know what is going to happen. And so that's a quote by Don Drager talking about kata. And he stated, because Don Drager was somebody who did a lot of studying of various Japanese martial arts, including judo. I'm sure he knew Japanese. I'm sure he read Kano's writings. So he got that from Kano himself. And I'm going to, I'm going to link these items, um, uh, the, the sources of, of some of these things that I've read, because I, that's only fair. I, I didn't, do have to do a whole bunch of research for for these particular quotes, but I want to be very clear on where I'm getting them and give those people credit. But there you go. According to Kano, Uchikomi is kata. So I know we've all done kata in one way, shape, or form. Even if even if a guy's like, and I'm not calling anybody out, but at, at Jimmy Pedro's club, they probably don't do regular practice of nage no kata or katami no kata. But they definitely do kata. No question about it. And I'll even take it a step further. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has kata. They just call it drills. And granted, there's not this deeper sense of... There may not be this deeper sense of mutual welfare and benefit in, in a lot of the the um, teachings of Jigoro Kano as part of their sport. But Jiu-Jitsu guys do drills all the time. Repetitive drills with cooperative partners moving in a prearranged uh, motion. They do it all the time and that's how they get better at their transitions to positions and sweeps and things like that. They, that's what they do. So there is another part of this discussion that I want to bring up as well. And <laughs> this is going to be the part where some of you out there in podcast land I want to get ang- are going to get angry with me a little bit. But I hope you understand. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what I'm about to bring up. Kata competitions. I am personally... I don't have a strong opinion on this either way. So somebody, some of you guys out there that do kata competitions can shoot me an email and set me straight. But kata competitions to me don't make a lot of sense. And the reason why I say that is because 
in my experience with Kata and in the prep work that I've done for this podcast in terms of some of the quotes that I've been reading here, Kata is a teaching tool, is it not? It's, It's a tool for beginners and for people in judo to get better at their techniques. So if Uchikomi is kata and ways that we practice judo techniques in a prearranged method is kata, how can you judge that in a kata competition? I mean, there's no such thing. Rondori is a training method as well. Are there Rondori competitions? Don't don't write me and say that it's Shiai because it's not. That's not... If you're doing Shi'ai and Rondori, you're, you're, that's not the objective of Rondori in most circumstances. But if kata is a training tool, how can you judge, how can you win at that? We, we always say there's no winners and losers in Rondori. How can there be winners and losers in kata? It, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe somebody out there can 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 set like I said can set me straight. But you know, given that kata is done by two people who have their own way of doing judo, I don't know how kata competitions come into play. Who who's to say that one person's kata is better than another? If how can you judge the principles involved of of two people who are doing the kata together? Because Toruke and Tori are doing kata uh, they're, they're they're practicing they're, they're doing nage no kata or kata how can you how can you judge nage no kata and say that yours was better than somebody else's that that's not to say that that there isn't merit for judging a kata and giving pointers on how one can improve but let's let's take let's say there was the top 10 kata people in the world how can you judge one person's kata and say that it's not as good as another person's kata? To me, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. I don't. I don't understand it. If it's a teaching method, just like you, you know, how can you teach? You know, who's the best? I, I, I don't know. It's. It, it doesn't make sense. To, it doesn't make sense to me. Like who? Let's say every there's a push-up competition. And everybody's doing 10 push-ups. And you're judged on how you do those push-ups. Like, how can you really do that? It's it's not like it's not like competitive diving or other sports where there's a judge on your technique. Because these kata is a lot more than that. It's a it's a training method. When when people are doing a high dive there and doing these flips off the platform dive, they are competing to to be the best at that particular technique. But I don't know. Kata competition to me, it's a training tool. What those divers are doing, they're not training. They they are they're not training in front of judges. They're actually competing. I, I don't know. Somebody out there set me straight. I'm sure uh, Judo Oyaji out there can definitely set me straight. And I would love if you look if you hear this and, and it doesn't have to be you, but somebody else. If you do kata competitions, I'm not saying that you're that it's wrong. I'm definitely not saying that at all. I personally just don't understand why they're there.
All right, so that is not going to be the last time I talk about kata. I will talk in more detail or, or maybe more in depth about the history of kata, um, why certain kata came to be, why certain kata was developed, why some kata are not part of the judo syllabus because there's a few out there. And I, I do want to explore this topic of kata more. And I will do that, I promise you. I just, again, wanted to start the conversation on this subject and see what you guys think of it. I'd love to hear from you guys. Um, shoot me an email at judochopsuishow at gmail.com if you have a, take exception to anything I've said, if I've gotten anything wrong. And, you know, something I want to point out here, if it's not evident, I'm just a buffoon behind the microphone that wants to put out content for you guys. If you guys disagree with something and it really bugs you, you know, feel free to shoot me an email. I'm not sitting here behind the microphone pretending to be right. I am. If I'm wrong about something, I'm willing to say that I'm wrong. If I have an opinion about something, I'm willing to state that opinion. And judging by the listener reaction over the past several months, a, a lot of you out there feel... Uh, really almost all of you, a, a lot of what I say um, rings a familiar tune and I get a lot of support out there. But I know that I know there's some detractors out there. It doesn't bother me and I appreciate the differences of opinion. I'd love to hear them from time to time. If I got something wrong, you know, let me know. And, and I'm not on here to be right, but I, I have certain opinions and I I state them. Just because I got a microphone to state them in and you guys listen to it. <laughs> I, you know, what can I say? But I appreciate any constructive criticism. If you guys think I'm wrong about this, especially about the kata competitions, let me know. I'd love to hear the other side of this. Now, speaking of competitions, I want to talk about the, a little bit about the whole hot Grand Prix. Now, again, this is not a competition that I saw a lot of video on. As it is, the video that I did watch were of highlights of the event. I didn't watch particular matches or specific matches because, again, I just I just had a busy couple of days, and I, I, I the tournament just came at a time where I had way too much going on in my life to ignore everything around me and watch judo. But that will not happen for the world championships that are going to be happening in in uh, a little bit over a month or so. So I do want to run down some of the winners. Toru Shishime of Japan won the under 60 kilo division. Yakub Shmalyov of Russia won the under 66 kilo division. Seyan Jirglala of China won the under 73 kilo division. Antoine Valois Fortier of Canada won the under 81 kilo division. Uh, Kuzan Kalmarzaev of Russia won the under 90 kilo division. And Ryonosuke Haga won the under 100 kilo division. He's from Japan. And Lucas Kapalik won the over 100 kilo division. Again, it should be noted, as I've noted in tournaments past, Teddy Renner was not at this event. But I do have a little bit of news about Teddy Renner that I'll get into shortly. But before I get into the women's division, I just want to make note here. You know, Kerplik was the gold medal winner of the under 100 kilo division in the Rio Olympics. And this is a gold medal going into the world championships for him. 
So this is setting up nicely. If he manages to get all the way to the finals in, in, in the world championships, that he has a chance. We have a chance to see an all gold medal uh, uh, final in the over 100 kilo division at the world championships. Now, that is assuming. Teddy Renner actually makes it to the finals. That that sh- we shouldn't assume that he's going to get there, but it, it makes for an interesting situation that Kerplik has been on the rise here, and Teddy Renner has been a fixture in, at the top of that division for eight years. So we may see an all all gold medal uh, final, which would be really really interesting to see for me. But look, like I said, they got to actually get to the final first. And and that over 100 kilo division has a lot of other nice players that I've touched on in in podcast past and and I'll I'll be sure to break down the world championships in more detail. But I I thought that's really interesting for Kerplik to win gold here. I'd like to move on to the women's division and their winners in the under 48 kilo division. The gold medal was won by Yudion Kang of South Korea in the under 52 kilo division. Song Sim Rim of North Korea won gold. Now, that's really interesting. Is that North Korea's first gold medal in an IJF event? I really don't know. I'm going to have to look that up. Moving on to the under-57 division, the gold medal was won by Momo Tamaoki of Japan. The under-63 kilo division was won by Miku Tashiro of Japan. Japan had a nice showing in this tournament. In the under-70 kilo division... Neiko Maeda of Japan won that division. In the under-78 kilo division, you had Bernadette Graf of Austria win that. And the over-78 kilo division, Jin Mi Han of South Korea won gold. Now, something I wanted to bring up that I noticed over the past week or so is that a lot of the prospective athletes going into the world championships were in Castel de Fels, Barcelona, which is in Spain. I'm sure you all know where Barcelona is. But I saw a lot of pictures of guys like Frank DeWitt, Michael Corral, Angelico Delgado, and even Teddy Renner is at this training camp. So he's looking healthy. He's looking like somebody who's ready to go for the world championships. I really can't wait to see him fight. I'm curious to see how he's going to be able to adjust to these new rules without having competed in any events this year. He's been a man that's, uh, I won't go as far as saying that he's been in hiding, but I have to believe, and I've been saying it, that the rule changes affected his game somewhat. And I am very curious to see how he's going to do it is not a foregone conclusion to me that he's even going to make it to the final in the world championships. I, If I was a betting man, and actually I am a betting man, but I don't bet on judo. But if I was a betting man who bets on judo, I would bet against Teddy Renner making it to the finals. And I would bet for Majlinda Kelmendi winning gold in her division. I, I, I think that's about as automatic as it comes. If she loses this division, if she loses in the world championships, I'll be stunned. I, I just I just think she is that much better than everybody else. Not only in her, in her division, but 
as I've said it before, I really think she's the best judoka in the world. I, I, and I mean that. I think she's just fabulous. So I am. I know for sure that Teddy is getting ready for this tournament. I got to believe Kelmendi's getting ready for this tournament. I know a lot of folks from Team USA, Nick Del Popolo, Angelica Delgado. They are getting ready for this tournament. And I'd like to give a, a, a special congratulations to... Justin Flores, who recently announced that he's going to be coaching Team USA at the at the World Championships, which is going to be in Budapest, Hungary, if I didn't cover that already. So congratulations to you, Justin. That's, that's a really, really great accomplishment. For those of you who do not know who Justin Flores is, he's a very accomplished coach. He, he was an elite athlete for the United States. Um, he was Ronda Rousey's uh, MMA coach, and or one of her coaches, and he... Um, He's got a a really great club, or I should say, he's part of a great club called uh, Studio Five Forty, which is out in California somewhere. I I don't know exactly where, but uh, he's one of the 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 coaches out there. So congratulations to you, Justin. Well deserved, and uh, best of luck to you in the World Championships. So that's all I got today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have any disagreements with me, you can shoot me an email. Like I said before, that's judochopsuishow at gmail.com. Uh, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram. I love I love getting new followers on Instagram because I follow you back if you let me know that you if I if you follow me on Instagram and you let me know that you heard about it from the podcast or if I check you out and I see that you do judo, that's an that's an insta follow from me. So I appreciate all of you people reaching out to me on Instagram and and um and various email and such. I didn't get the listener reaction today. Not that I didn't get any listener reaction, but I wanted to. I I I really wanted to uh, focus on some other things. So I will get to listener reaction in the future. But I have received your messages, your emails. I really appreciate it all. I, I, it really brightens up my day to hear from you guys, even from those who may have disagreements with me I, I still appreciate you listening and, and checking out the podcast so with that I hope you have a great day I hope you have a great rest of the week Train hard stay safe out there and until next time I'm out Open Gangnam Style Gangnam Style Open Gangnam Style Gangnam Style Oh